This is the Down East EM Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Down East EM Podcast. Before we get into our content, actually, I just want to do a little bit of an introduction to kind of the concepts and the person I'm speaking with. You're going to hear in a second the audio of my conversation with Evie Marcolini. Now, Evie is a dual certified physician. She is board certified in both neurocritical care and emergency medicine. She did her med school at UVM and actually did her residency at Maine Medical Center. She now works at the University of Vermont, both in the emergency department and as a neurointensivist. She and I talk about the topics of blood pressure control for different intracranial processes. Now, if you are a podcast connoisseur, you have heard Evie talk before on forums such as MRAP on topics of neurocritical care. She's incredibly well-versed, very well-read, and very well-spoken. Now, in this topic in particular, I wanted to sit down with Evie and talk about the blood pressure targets for all of the different intracranial processes that we see in the ED. This includes subarachnoid hemorrhage, intracerebral hemorrhage, acute ischemic stroke, and traumatic brain injury. Very, very important disease processes to know really well when the patient comes in with that presentation. And specifically what we're talking about are blood pressure targets that we're trying to hit. Each one of these has a different target and we need to know them well, like the back of our hand, really. And we have a lot of different recommendations from different agencies. Evie and I go through that, but she also talks a little bit about the nuances, some of the things that the neurointensivists want us to do or want to target themselves. So very much worth a listen here. Let's get into the content. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Down East EM podcast. We have something a little bit different here today. I'm sitting here with Evie Marcolini, who I'm going to say is sort of an unofficial mentor of mine. Is that fair? Am I overstepping my bounds, Evie? Not at all. I I, I consider you an unofficial mentee, and uh, it's working well. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Good. I'm in there. So, um, but we, you know, we live not far from each other. I live in Maine. You live in Vermont, correct? I do. Not on the border. You're in truly in Vermont. But we are here sitting, looking out at the Adriatic Sea. We are at MEMC 19 in Dubrovnik. And of course, we had to come this distance to sit and have a conversation. But we're going to be talking about different intracranial processes and blood pressure targets for each of them. Sound fair? Sounds good. Excellent. So my, my thought for the, the topic was to tell you what I know, what the blood pressure target is, if or if there's any data, maybe try to cite that. That's going to push my, my boundaries of knowledge a little bit and then have you say yes, no, and correct me. All right. I'll do my best. All right. So let's open with subarachnoid hemorrhage. That's something that Evie and I have talked about in the past several times. Uh, blood pressure targets there. The best I know is trying to get the blood pressure down to under 160 systolic, and that these are based off of the AHA guidelines on that same topic matter. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The subarachnoid hemorrhage, in most cases, neurosurgeons like to get that less than 140. All of us like to get it less than 140. And the reason is we believe that after you have your initial subarachnoid hemorrhage from the aneurysmal bleed, this mm-hmm. is the spontaneous subarachnoid hemorrhage, sure, right. that the re-bleed is what gives us the most mortality risk. And okay. one of the best ways that we can reduce the risk of rebleed is by decreasing blood pressure and keeping it low. So we want to get it down right away. And we're all so worried about rebleed that we go to less than 140. Okay. The, the data says less than 160. It's not really based 
on a whole lot of evidence. Sure. I don't think we're ever going to get that evidence because who's going to want to randomize a trial to less than 140 versus less than 180 or less than 160? It's just not going to happen. Not going to happen. So in that regard, then, is it lowest tolerated blood pressure? Could you go to 110 if someone's doing fine on that? You could go to 110 if you had somebody, you know, subarachnoids tend to happen with women who are not so old. So they Mm. may be baseline normal blood pressure. So 110, as long as they're hemodynamically stable and they're they're doing okay, yeah, that wouldn't be bad. Okay, good to know. All right, so our next topic is intracerebral hemorrhage. And this is going to be sort of based off of the attached to trial, as I know it, where they were looking at different blood pressure targets. They had the group of 110 to 140 and 140 to 180 and looked to see if there are any outcome differences. And really the punchline I thought was no. There were a couple more difficulties in terms of renal impairment and targeting and reaching that blood pressure uh, for the lower end group, but there was no major difference in terms of outcomes for the patient. So from that, I took it away that there's no benefit to going lower and 140 to 180 would be fine. Yeah, the attached to trial is the latest big trial that we have that randomized patients to these two cohorts, less than 180 or less than 140. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, most of the patients lived somewhere between 140 and 160. Mm-hmm. So some mm-hmm. would argue it wasn't a great discriminator. Um, but one of the things that the attached to trial did show us is that less than 140 is safe. Right. Now, how right. do I interpret this? If I have somebody who's got baseline hypertension, hyperlipidemia, morbidly obese, they live up in the 180 to 200 range. Sure. I'm not going to push their blood pressure less than 140 just because they have intracerebral hemorrhage. Right. Sure. I'm going to push them to less than 180 for sure. Mm -hmm. And maybe less than 160. Right. But somebody who's young and healthy, who doesn't have blood pressure issues and just happens to have high blood pressure because they've got an intracerebral hemorrhage, I'm going to push them to less than 140. Okay. Because if you think about it, if your baseline is normally at 110, Mm -hmm. that's all the perfusion that your kidneys need to see, to see perfusion, right? Right. right. All the pressure your kidneys need to see perfusion. But if you're used to living at 180, let me drop you to 110. You're going to need that flow to perfuse the kidneys. To keep the kidneys going. While we're importantly worried about the brain we have to think about the rest of the organs too makes sense and that's how most of us i believe use that data from the attached to trial and that makes sense and that's taking data which often gets broadly swept and you know painted in a picture and applying it to individual patients so exactly great use and you know one other thing is when we're talking about data and evidence we push the blood pressure down for intracerebral hemorrhage because we believe that if there's high blood pressure, that's hydrostatic pressure, that's going to increase the volume of the bleed. Mm -hmm. To be fully transparent, we don't have a lot of great data that proves that. This is an area in the neuroscience that's still under a lot of investigation. What is the relationship between blood pressure and intracerebral hemorrhage? That's a very simple but unanswered question. Right. Ah, interesting. Right. So the next topic then is the ischemic side, the uh, acute ischemic stroke. And these are numbers that we all should generally know well, and particularly the systolics. Uh, 220 systolic if we're not giving TPA, and then that 185 or less, 185 over 110 if we are giving TPA. 
the best I know of for that data is off, you know, the uh, AHA recommendations. And that's basically because that's what was studied for TPA in terms of numbers. They use TPA in patients that had blood pressures lower than 185 over 110. So that's why we do that. Yeah. And the thing about ischemic stroke is this. We like to keep the blood pressure on the higher side mm -hmm. because we're trying to create enough pressure head to perfuse the old penumbra. The penumbra, right. And to get that circulation, let's just call it the circulation on the alternate pathway. Sure. So you're, you've got a clot in the main artery, the main highway, mm -hmm. and we want to keep the pressure head up to perfuse a penumbra around the back door, right. as it were. Yes, that so makes that, sense. Yeah, so that we can keep that pressure head and save the penumbra. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing with ischemic stroke. True. However, the bigger that core infarct is, we run the risk of reperfusion hemorrhage if the pressure is too high, mm -hmm. or even if we do reperfuse that. If we recanalize yep. and reperfuse a big infarct, we could create reperfusion hemorrhage. So with ischemic stroke, it's very much walking the line. Yeah. We want to keep it on the high side, but not too high. Right. That makes sense. And that, that's why those those numbers, are, they do seem like minutia slightly, you know, 185, 220. Those aren't vastly different numbers, but I can see why you're talking about the reperfusion injury and why we set the 185 for TPA and revascularization. Exactly. And one other thing that we usually don't look at in the emergency department, but we might think about is after you've given TPA, or even if you haven't given TPA with your ischemic stroke patient, if they're sitting up and you get, you have a blood pressure of, let's say 160 systolic, mm -hmm. you do your neuro exam, lie them flat, watch their blood pressure go up a little bit, do another exam. Hmm. If their exam improves when the blood pressure goes up, just simply by lying them flat, mm -hmm. that's called a pressure-dependent exam. Okay. Then we try to keep them flat or maybe 10 degrees or we give them fluid. We do something to keep the pressure up because, again, when their exam improves, you know you're perfusing that penumbra. Okay. And it's something we'll do in the neuro ICU is try to keep that blood pressure up, but it's also nice to look at their exam to see that we're actually improving it just by keeping the blood pressure up. Wow, interesting. And would you ever use vasoactive agents to make those changes or is it more position and, and fluids? We absolutely do use vasoactive agents mm. in the neuro ICU. I wouldn't recommend it in the ED because when we're in the ICU, we've got one-to-one -one nursing. Right. We're watching that exam very closely. We just don't have those resources in the emergency department. So by by having the resources and being able to watch their exam very closely, yep. we can use those agents. But in the emergency department, if you see somebody's blood pressure go up and their exam improve, just lie them at flat or 10 degrees right. and or give them fluid and, and watch the blood pressure. This is also a great time in any of these cases to have an arterial line if, sure, you, if sure. you possibly can get that. In so the that you're not department. cycling the pressure and seeing a massive jump when right. your nurse gets pulled away to that you know heart attack or whatever. So, okay. yeah. yeah. All right. And then last topic would be a traumatic brain injury. Uh, we're all sort of given the, the mantra of avoid hypotension and hypoxia. And numbers in that area are kind of newer, coming out recently, if I understand them correctly. I know the systolic blood pressure of 110, but I don't know the data. And apparently there's an age-dependent 
blood pressure target. So, Abby, fill us in on that one. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the the new guidelines just recent, well, not so recently, came out. Uh, the Brain Trauma Foundation put out their first guidelines that have been uh, revised in over 10 years. Mm. So they recommend now systolic blood pressure greater than 100 if your patient is 50 to 69 years old. Okay. If they're 70 or older or 15 to 49 years old, okay, it should be greater than 110. Okay. <laughs> that sounds interesting, right? And yeah. You go, What's the physiologic reason for that? The reason for that is that there's not a lot of good data on blood pressure control in traumatic brain injury patients. If you look at the guidelines and you look at the study that they're using to make these uh, that make these recommendations, mm -hmm. those are the criteria that they use for that study. Okay. So no better reason than that. And I will say, though, I like the fact that we're seeing the blood pressure recommendations go higher because you probably remember back in the days in 19, early 1990s when Randall Chestnut brought us that sentinel study that mm. said if your blood pressure drops below systolic of 90 once, pre-hospital, emergency department, I anywhere, yep. your mortality increases by 150%. That's what we've gone by for so for many a long years. Time, yeah. And that's an important that's an important parameter, an important study, because it helps us do simple things. In pre-hospital world, plug a line, get some fluid. Right. In the emergency department, plug a line, get some fluid. Don't let the blood pressure drop. But there's a lot more data coming out now saying that not only is greater than 90 giving you increased or improved mortality, mm -hmm. but even higher. Dan Spate in um, Arizona did a wonderful pre-hospital study looking at 3,000 patients that were uh, determined to have severe TBI in the field. Mm -hmm. And every 5 or 15 minutes, they got blood pressure Monitoring. monitored uh -huh. through the emergency department and into the hospital. And what he showed us was that for every um, 5 millimeters of mercury increment blood pressure being higher mm -hmm. patient's mortality improved interesting going all the way into the systolic of 130 so we're okay. not saying push your blood pressure yeah, into the 130s or, but there uh, there are more and more data showing us that higher blood pressure is better for the tbi interesting yeah and so off that data are you again using vasoactive agents norepi or phenylephrine or something along those lines Typically with TBI, we don't need to get to don't that to, point. Sure. If you think about what's going on with TBI, you've got not only the blood lesion, mm -hmm. but you've got edema mm -hmm. that's pushing down on the cerebral arteries. The cerebral arteries are trying to stay open right. so that they can keep flow. Mm -hmm. So the pressure of the lesion is trying to close the arteries. So they just want to keep those arteries open so you don't have an additional stroke in addition to the traumatic brain injury. Right. So keeping that blood pressure up is better. Well, one of the things you could do is give them fluid. Sure. But we don't typically need to get to vasoactivation. They're not dropping that low. It's physiologically, if they're hypotensive, you need to be thinking of alternative pathologies and fi fixing that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. You might think about another bleed in the belly or something sure. like that. And that makes sense. Giving them fluid. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. So just to wrap those up, summarize our different disease processes and our targets. We talked about subarachnoid hemorrhage and the AHA guideline of 160. Bavley points out that really people are pushing lower in that area, trying to get under 140 if tolerated by the patient. And 
lower still, again, not, not crazy numbers, but lower still if the patient does well with that. Intracerebral hemorrhage, we talked about uh, the attached two trial and the 140 versus the 180 target and uh, very patient specific numbers there thinking about their blood pressure before injury. For ischemic stroke, we know the guidelines there are relatively low, that 185 over 110 for uh, TPA targeting. And then for TBI, traumatic brain injury, a couple different targets there, but above 110. And I'll give you the data because I do not have them memorized after that short conversation about the different ages, but we'll have that in the show notes for you as well. Evie, thank you so much for your time. It was a great little talk about these topics and important for our, our people to know when they're on the front lines because they're going to see this every day. So thank you. Thank you, Jason, and enjoy Dubrovnik. Thank you. That's all for the Down ECM podcast for now. If you like what you hear, please hop over to iTunes, throw us some stars, give us a review. It really, really helps us. Also, we would love to hear your ideas about how we can make the podcast better, any topics you like to cover, anything that you think would help your listening experience. You can check out more of what we have to offer at our blog, downeastem.org, and you can follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at downeastem. Until next time.